Welcome to Fast Fiction. Art comes to us in different genres. It can be bold, it can be beautiful, it can be crude or rude. It is up to the artist who enjoys the privilege of artistic license. The moment he saw the painting, he knew who had murdered his wife. It was as clear as if he was looking at a snapshot of the scene of the crime. He felt no emotion, no physical response whatsoever. For the moment, he only had one thing in mind, to get out of the house as fast as he could, leaving no suspicion of who he was or where he had come from. Fortunately, he was always prepared for such emergencies. He took out a business card from his wallet and handed it to the woman standing beside him. It is clearly inconvenient to view your house thoroughly right now, Mrs. Benson. When I get back to the office, I'll make a note to contact you again in a week or two, and we can arrange a mutually convenient time. The woman took the card eagerly as she looked at his name. Oh, thank you, Mr. Forbes. To be honest, I am in a bit of a muddle today, due to a few late nights. I must say, I was a bit bewildered when you knocked on the door just now. I thought Eric and I had agreed to wait until next Easter, but look, if you say Christmas is a good time to sell, well, maybe we'll talk about it a bit more. He nodded courteously. Do you have a large family? No, there's only me and my husband. He's a house painter, and as you can see, he leaves a lot of gear around the house. She motioned towards the tins of paint and turpentine littered along the hallway and on the upstairs landing. That's why we're repainting it ourselves now. We want to move to a larger place. He took a chance. You surprise me. From the lovely pictures on the wall, I would have taken him for an artist. Or are they yours? He gestured towards the detailed paintings in the hall. The one nearest them showed a charming old-fashioned parlour full of interesting antiques, including a large ornate grandfather clock. That had been the clue. Oh, no, no, that's just a hobby of his. If Eric has a job in a house that impresses him, he comes home and sketches or, or paints it from memory, she answered. As you can see, we have a number of them. He says they provide good memories of special jobs. Franklin turned to the painting as if to admire it, noting its fine and accurate detail. The pattern on the Persian carpet, the colours of the upholstery, even the clock face set at seven o'clock. A cold chill went through him. Well, it must be grand to be so talented, smiled the phantom Mr. Forbes of phantom high-grade realty as he left the house. Thank you for your time, Mrs. Benson. I'll be in touch. He walked down the road, turning the corner to where he had left the car. He never parked too close to a house he was casing, preferring to use the nearest supermarket car parks if possible. This one was just three blocks away, but much safer in the long run. His white glance emerged in with a dozen similar ones, but the moment he got behind the wheel, his control fragmented into gulps of misery and sorrow. A few minutes later, composed, and with his mind now clear, he drove the ten kilometres to his rambling old house on the outskirts of town. It had been his home and refuge for many years now, his and Annie's. Now it was merely a house, a place to sleep, and seethe with anger, loss, and frustration. 
The midday sun was brilliant in the cheerful, cosy room, and as he went inside, memories flooded through him, and his eyes became moist again with tears. It was over six months since he had arrived back late one night to find Annie's battered and ravaged body sprawled on the floor of the old-fashioned parlour, and his grief was as fresh as if it had been yesterday. During the last thirty weeks the law had confirmed itself to be the ass he had thought it to be. Indeed, his own criminal career was based on that very premise, but whereas he had always prided himself to planning his jobs down to the last detail, he found the law to be a tangled mess of trivialities. Sure, there were visits from policemen and detectives, even special investigators. He had told the little he knew over and over again, but the outcome was still, I'm sorry, Mr. Jamison, we have no positive clues leading to the killer, so we are temporarily shelving the case. And he had been forced to do much the same. It had been mere chance that had led him to the house on the corner of Wattle Drive this week. It had simply fit well into his premise of where he would find a good haul with plenty of high-tech consumer goods. Visibility of the front door and downstairs window was limited due to being flanked by thick bushes, whilst the position of the house allowed a good getaway from back or side. As was his practice, he had been watching the house and others in the area over a number of days. By now he knew Eric Benson to be a house painter, a heavy smoker and golf enthusiast, and his wife an extravagant shopper and bingo addict. There were no children or pets. Every Wednesday night they went to the local pub, and when they did get home late, they were usually the worst for wear. It was his usual meticulous fashion this morning he had undertaken a final check, posing as a salesman from a supposed local real estate agency. The fact that the Bensons had already been considering selling had been a bonus, but even if they hadn't the usual blarney about quality homes in that area being highly sought after, procured an invitation to view and that was all he had needed. But he hadn't been prepared to see his own home, his own lounge room, displayed on the wall, and now that he had time to think, he knew exactly what had happened. It was obvious to Franklin that in his own perverse and crooked way, Eric Benson used the same ploy as himself. He must have visited Annie on spec, offering a special price to decorate the house, in order to gain entry. Or maybe he had contacted her as a genuine potential customer, and the desire to rape had been more of an impulse. His artistic trophies displayed so triumphantly on his walls suggested he may well be a serial rapist of the worst kind. His disgusting act could not be relayed as, She was dressed so provocatively, so what was I expected to think? Or, She encouraged me to buy her drinks all night? or any of the other excuses that were always proffered by the accused. No, these men betrayed common trust and preyed on the vulnerable women in their own homes, men who have little thought other than their own carnal needs for sex and power, and leave behind a tangled web of broken lives. Franklin's clenched fists rammed the table, even after so long his loss was irreplaceable. Unfortunately, on this occasion, Eric Benson had chosen a victim who already had a heart condition, and the effect of being bashed and raped had consequences far beyond physical and mental debilitation. It had killed her, a slow, painful, and lonely death. 
but it was also going to be most unfortunate for Mr. Eric Benson. Franklin would see to that. He went over to the grandfather clock, the one that had been the vital clue. There was no doubt in the grieving widower's mind, for Franklin had only given Annie the clock the very morning of her death. It had been a special prize from his dealings up north. The moment he had seen the unique Joseph grandfather piece in the expensive and overly prized antique shop, he had been positive she would like it. He had planned the robbery meticulously, gaining the help of local drug addicts keen to gain a few dollars for their next fix, to help carry the clock and other prizes out of the gallery into the waiting truck. It was with pleasurable excitement he had waited for Annie to go to bed before installing it that night. He had drawn on his years of experience to be quiet and efficient, anticipating the delight she would show the next morning. He had not been disappointed. They had both stood in front of it in the early morning light, commenting on the exquisite workmanship. "'Oh, Frank, it's beautiful,' she had said. "'It's a Howard Miller, just like we had at home.' Then, looking a little closer, she had clapped her hands with girlish glee. "'It is, isn't it? It's the same one. I recognise the detailing. Daddy had this little rose carved for Mother right here, see?' She fingered the delicate engraving. A tear came to her eyes. He tried to personalise everything he gave her with an emblem for her name, Emily Rose. She turned to him, standing on tiptoe, her slight body reaching towards him. I won't ask where you got it, but can only guess it landed up with some unscrupulous auctioneer with all their other furnishings. Then, with a wistful smile, she turned back to the clock. Do you think we could adjust the pendulum so that it's a little quieter? The sound of the seconds ticking away are a constant reminder of how quickly our life is passing. Frank winced with the memory of those words, but at the same time there was little to think of their omen, and he had simply smiled and pulled the pendulum to lock in the time of seven o'clock. He tugged again, but it didn't move. It only needs a little oil in the right place and a touch of TLC. I'll give it a spot check when I get home tonight, he had said playfully. You too, if you're lucky. Oh, that was behind him now, of course, and the only thing before him, revenge on his wife's killer. He could have easily killed Eric Benson outright, but Franklin prided himself on being essentially a religious man, and therefore the scriptures dealing with an eye for an eye implied that the death sentence must be slow and terrifying, like Annie's. This would not be so easy, but he had time on his side. He could wait, and he had. It was not too long before the idea and the opportunity came to him. He just needed to be sure of a few facts, and these were easily confirmed after a nocturnal visit to the house the next Wednesday night when the Bensons were at the pub. He made his entry through an unlocked laundry window, then roamed the ground floor freely. Going upstairs, he noted with particular satisfaction that Mr. and Mrs. Benson occupied separate bedrooms. Perhaps that was the key, Franklin thought, sexual repression. One week later he was back in the house again, quietly and methodically making his final preparations. As usual, he had fallen back on experience to work quickly and quietly, but then that's what made him a professional. Later, with the helpful blanket of a dark night, he had parked the car at the end of the street and then waited for the Bensons to come home. They were a bit intoxicated, noisy and awkward. Even so, 
He waited a full hour after the lights went out before stealthily crawling in through the laundry window once again. Picking up a number of turpentine bottles from the hall, he quickly made his way upstairs and poured them liberally on and around Eric Benson's bedroom door. Then he lit the match. He did not wait to see the flames roar into life for he was busy in the main bedroom throwing the lightly chloroformed rag over the face of the recumbent, slightly snoring Mrs. Benson. Within a moment her breathing changed and he scooped her up, carrying her downstairs into the back garden. As he threw her down on the ground, he allowed himself a moment to look up towards the back window where he knew Eric Benson slept. He did not give even a flicker of remorse as he saw the desperate face of his victim trying to open the window that had been earlier screwed and boarded down. The explosive whoosh from inside indicated the spare bottles of turps he had hidden in the closet were also igniting. The smell of the highly inflammable chemicals hung heavy. Away from the fire, Frank's dark clothing melted into the night as he jumped the small fence into the adjoining garden. Then bending low against the overgrown brush, he maneuvered himself towards the front and was already walking down the street as lights were switched on by curious neighbors, wakened by the clang of the fire engines racing towards the fire. He was glad they were so proficient. They should find a bewildered and shocked Mrs. Benson doing no more than view her burning house, her home, and later, hopefully, the charred remains of Mr. Benson. Walking casually towards his car, he passed a few inquisitive spectators who were themselves moving towards Wattle Street. Joining their voyeuristic mood, he called out an affable, Jeez, what a blaze, eh? Let's hope it doesn't come down our way noting their responding homilies. Whose house do you think it is then? Do you reckon it's the Benson's? Silly sod. I told Eric a dozen times to get all that paint gear out of his house. I tell you, if the fire spreads to my place, I'll sue him to within an inch of his life. Franklin moved on to where he had parked his car. It was still early morning, and without traffic to hinder him, he was soon entering the comfortable familiarity of his home. He walked over to the cabinet and poured himself a large whiskey. He took a satisfying gulp, then turned and stood a few minutes in front of the old cloth. The hands were still where they had been left that fateful day, proclaiming it to be seven o'clock. He stood a moment, burying his grief, then looking at his watch noted that it was now five minutes to three. He opened the protective glass casing and slowly, carefully moved the ornate hands around to their appropriate position on the Roman numerals, adjusted the lead weight pulleys and started the crank key. The heavy brass cables began their grinding pendulum swing as he waited for the chime. One, two, three. At the final chime, he closed the door. Goodbye, Annie, my love, he said, as he gulped down the remains of the fiery liquid. You can rest easy now. Then he went to bed for the best night's sleep in six months. You have been listening to Artistic License, written and narrated by Brianda Cross. <laughs>